How many of you are glad this morning that we serve a great and awesome God? I don't know about you, but after weeks like this week, it feels good to be around God's people just to be able to worship Him. There's something about gathering with God's people in worship that soothes the soul, and that's needed today. Uh, If you will, stand with me as we prepare to read God's Word and open your Bibles to Exodus, the sixth chapter, where we'll be reading verses 1 through 9, Exodus, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 9. When you get there, say amen. Amen. If you need a little bit more time, say hold on. All right. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to start us off. You guys join in and then we will read uh, together. But the Lord said to Moses, now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Keep reading. Stop right there. Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. If you will, the title of our sermon this morning is Silenced by a Broken Spirit. Silenced by a Broken Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, I am in desperate need of you this morning. For you have laid before your servant a heavy task. And we as a people are in desperate need of you this morning. Because we need to hear a word this morning. The beauty of this God is that in your word, there is hope. In your word, there is peace. In your word, there is life. And so God, we pray that you would open our hearts this morning and that you might implant your word into it, that we might be comforted in the way that only you can, that we might be encouraged and only in a way that you can. 
and that we might leave from this place today with renewed purpose to walk with you and on your behalf like never before. We pray all these things in the name of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was April 16th, 1963. Martin Luther King Jr. was sitting isolated in a cell in Birmingham, Alabama, where he penned the most famous letter from a Birmingham jail. In it, he said these words. Lamentable, it is a historical fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given to the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But there comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. For many years, the African-American community has identified with this Israelite narrative of being enslaved by a people for many years and being oppressed because they were different. And even though there are shared commonalities between our experience and their experience, it's not the same story. And so we've got to be careful to fully believe everything correlates between our story and theirs. However, there is enough of a shared experience between their history and ours that allows us to enter into their hope, hurt and enter into their hope somewhat seamlessly. But before we get to where we are in chapter 6, we've got to look back at how we got there. In chapter 1 of Genesis, of Exodus, rather, it says this, beginning in verse 18, or 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So what we see here is an Egyptian people and a king that looked out on a people that was different from them, a people that was unlike them, a people that was many in number, and they feared them. 
And fear drove them to oppression. They feared the Israelites because they feared that if war broke out, they couldn't trust this group of people that wasn't like them. They didn't think that they could share in joining one another in war. But not only that, there were also economic concerns. What would happen if war broke out and this people of Israel left the land? We would have no one to work. That's why he said that they feared them going out from the land. After we read this, we see in chapter 2, God raises up a leader in Moses, who was himself an Israelite, ending up in the house of Pharaoh, being taught the Egyptian ways. One day he comes across a slave master beating a slave, his kinsman. He sees that and his heart rages in anger, and he kills the slave master and then escapes from the land. One day, as he's out there minding his own business, God comes to him in the form of a burning bush, a miracle in and of itself, and calls him to action, telling Moses, I will use you to redeem my people. I will use you to deliver my people. Moses prepares himself after arguing back and forth with God to go back to Egypt, where he meets up with his brother Aaron. And Aaron and Moses begin to engage the people and tell them about this God who has revealed himself to Moses. The people get somewhat excited and Aaron and Moses prepare themselves to go meet with Pharaoh. They get before Pharaoh and they begin telling him about this God that Israel is to worship and serve and telling them about this God that wants them to be free from slavery and from oppression. And Pharaoh's response is, if these people have enough time to worship their God, then they can work more. And so he lands on their back, even more of a heavy burden, even more oppression, harsher slavery, harsher work, somewhat unbearable. And then we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 should be a turning point for this group of people because the Lord meeting with Moses begins to unpack some beautiful promises. If you look at chapter 6, verse Two with me, it said, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You remember them as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. See, in this time of revealing himself to this group of people, he's saying, there, there's, there's an intimacy that I want you to have with me that even your ancestors didn't have. There, there's a part of me that I want you to see that nobody has yet seen. I want you to see my character, my love for you, my devotion for you. I want to see the covenant promises that I made. I want you to see them close up in a way that nobody else in human history has yet to see. He says, I'm making known to you my name, which, I, which has never been known until now. I established my covenant with them to give them a land, Canaan which they lived as sojourners. But I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and I remembered my covenant. He said, I'm, I want you to know that I'm so near to you, that, that, that I'm so close to you, that your cries don't go unheard, my people. You're feeling the weight of oppression right now, but my, your cries don't go unheard. You might not be able to see the hope 
for today, but your cries do not go unheard. I've heard your cries. Say therefore to the people, verse 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord. Throughout this promise passage, uh, God offers a, a, a resonating refrain that he repeats often, I am the Lord. He wants them to know who he is. See, this, this revelation of I am the Lord is a constant reminder that there's a, there's a part of my character that you need to remember no matter what you go through. Because I am the Lord, and knowing that I'm going to redeem you should give you some hope. I am the Lord. I will bring you into the land that I swore to your ancestors. I'm going to give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Remember, I am the Lord. Remember that no matter what I tell you, I'm putting my covenant name on it. So that means it can't be broken by what you do. It says the promise will come through because I'm the Lord and my name seals it as absolutely going to happen. Can you... Can you can you feel this? Can you imagine the hope that would well up inside of you after so many years of being beaten down and told that you're less than and told you're only good for work, you're only good to serve, to feel that weight constantly day in and day out with no break at all and to receive a promise directly from God saying that I put my stamp on it. You shall know my name and I will redeem you. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? But look what the people say. Verse 9, it says, Moses spoke to the people. He communicated all that God had said to the people. And it says, but, but they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is very different than the response they had at the end of chapter 4. I'll read it to you. When Moses and Aaron first addressed the people and brought this good news of this Redeemer God to them, here was their response. The end of chapter 4, it says this. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So not just words, but God miraculously showing them before their very eyes that he was going to work on their behalf to validate that what he's saying is true. Right. Look, look at what the people's response was. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited, come near to the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. And yet, the minute that they thought they had some hope, the minute that they thought they had some relief, the pressure intensified, and something else happened. Another video on Facebook popped up. Another post from their supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ post, posted up on Facebook. And all of a sudden, you can no longer hear the promises of God because you've been beaten down for too long. 
You've been beaten down not just by police brutality. You've been beaten down by the education system. Where they don't want to give you teachers. They don't want to provide books. There's no money for extracurricular activities. And then they wonder why we can't make it to college. Then they wonder why we're not prepared for jobs. And why unemployment is so high. And poverty is so stricken in our communities. And then men and women who can't work resort to crime because it's the only option that they have left. And laws have been created to single you out, to unfairly put you in prison at a disproportionate rate. There is no more hope left for you. You can't hear the promises of God because the system has set itself up to make sure that you don't make it. I'm glad that this story doesn't end there. And I'm glad that your story doesn't end there. Imagine how Moses feels. He's seen God do some miraculous things. He's been spoken to from a burning bush. He's seen God change his staff into a snake and back again. He's shown these miraculous signs to the people themselves. So imagine how Moses feels. He's got to be feeling pretty confident in who God is at this point. I know God. He showed himself to me. He showed the power that he has. I'm secure in who God is. But look what it says next. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. The the people's response of brokenness so depressed Moses that he too lost faith in God. The very messenger that God had sent on behalf of the people no longer believed what God had even sent him to do. If I can't convince these people that you're God, if I can't convince this people that you're all powerful, how you expect me to go talk to Pharaoh? Why did you even send me here for this? I love God's response. He doesn't go back and forth with Moses. See, when he first called Moses, he gave Moses some wiggle room to argue with him a little bit. He gave Moses a little rope and said, you know what, I I know you don't feel adequate enough to do this. I'm going to let you go ahead and speak your mind a little bit. I'm going to let you go ahead and get it off your chest and I'm going to work with you because you're just getting to know who I am. So I'm going to show you a little grace. But what I love about verse 13 is God doesn't go back and forth with Moses anymore. Look what it says. 
It says, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It's as simple as that. God said, I already told you what to do. Go do it. Can you imagine that? This people's been so beaten down and broken down and depressed and, 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 and conditioned that there's no hope for them, that they can't respond to God's promises. And the brokenness that Moses encounters when he talks to this people is so great that he even loses hope. And God doesn't even address it with him. All he says is, I already told you what to do. Go do it. See, the, the beauty is that God works beyond our feelings. God works beyond our lack of faith. God works beyond our personal insecurities. When God wants to move, there's nothing you can do or I can do. There's nothing you can feel or I can feel. There is nothing external or internal that can stop the hand of God Amen. from moving. Amen. That should be an encouragement for you this morning. Amen. See, it'd be easy for us as a people to identify with just verse 9. I know how hard this week has been. There hasn't been a day that's gone by that I have not poured out tears multiple times throughout the day. I know how hard it is because my wife has called me abnormally this week just to make sure that I'm still alive. I know how hard it is because my, my seven-year-old daughter overheard our talking about it and now she's afraid somebody's gonna shoot her as well. I know how hard it is. And it's easy to go on Facebook and social media, to watch the news, to see the hate that's been spewed, to see the injustice that's been done and identify it with verse nine and throw up your hands and say, I don't have any more to give. I've given all I can. I have no more tears left. I have nothing left to post. I just don't believe anything's gonna change. I know it's been a hard week. Those thoughts have crossed my mind. But let me tell you something. Verse 9 is not who I want you to identify with in this passage. I want you to identify with Moses in this passage. Because some of you are insecure right now. Some of you feel out of your waters and out of your depth. Some of you feel like you don't have anything to offer and you don't know where to start. But the only thing that made Moses special was that he put his body forward to be used by God. See, God today, right now, at this moment, in, in this city, and in every other city around the world, is looking for Moseses who are willing to put their bodies on the line, who are willing to put their voices on the line, who are willing to put their lives on the line, to be used by him. 
despite how you feel today, despite the oppression that you faced in your personal experiences, God is waiting for some Moses to raise up so he can use you for his glory. Isaiah 1, verse 17 says this. It says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. What does all of this have to do with Jesus anyway? What, what, is, what does this have to do with the gospel or with Jesus' death on the cross? Why does it even matter? Let me tell you something. Jesus has much in common with Alton and Philando. He too was unjustly murdered by a system that was built to oppress the marginalized. He too was rejected. He too was killed publicly for all to see. But the reason that we can still have hope is because Jesus' story doesn't end there. There's an old hymn that was brought back to my mind just this morning. Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. My life. Your life is worth the living because he lives. I already know what you're thinking. Pastor Kurt, I know. I'm like, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I, feel, I feel it. But what do I do? Where do I start? I don't even know where to begin. Let me give you a couple action steps. This isn't an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. And we'll have some other things to, to share with you. But just for now, let me give you a few things that you can do to start. Number one, start attending your community meetings. There's no way you can speak to the injustice of your community if you don't know what's going on. Too many of us are absent when that time comes. It's easy for us to sit on social media behind the screen and show up to church and talk about all the injustices. But if you haven't shown up, how are you going to help? Start in your own neighborhood. Find out from a black captain or someone else, when are your community meetings? Where are they being held? Go there and talk to people and find out what the issues are in your community. And be present there. Number two, research your district, city, and state representatives. You need to know who's in office. Who's over your district? Who's over the areas that you live in? What policies do they ascribe to? What's missing from their policies? See, I'll go to number three, vote. But it's directly tied to number two, and I'll tell you why. Too many of us are solely focused on the presidential election. And we miss out on the elections that really have impact for your everyday lives. Listen, I'm not, I'm not 
condemning you. I've been guilty of this in the past as well. Me and my wife just recently have been doing, trying to do a better job of finding out who these people are, what they believe, and what they hold to. I know what happens. We go for the presidential elections, and then we guess on everything else. And typically, we're guessing a name that we've only heard about. I'm familiar. Like, well, at least I've heard that name click. I know how it goes. But the very people that we're putting in office and we're complaining about are the people that we voted for. Listen, it's, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. But you need to know who you're voting for. Especially, especially, especially those who have a direct impact on your community and your lives. Four, support, lo support local social justice organizations. We don't have to carry the burden of taking everything, doing everything from scratch. And believe me, you don't even have to ascribe to every single value that that group may hold to. But it's okay for us as the church to get out there and put our feet on the street and get to know people. Who, are, who we can lock arms with and build relationships with, who are fighting the fight of injustice. I'll go march with Black Lives Matter. I'll go to their community meetings and their rallies. I don't ascribe to everything they believe, but I know what I do believe, that they're fighting for injustice in my neighborhood, and I can lock arms with them. Find, find a social justice organization in your neighborhood. Engage local police. I'm talking to us black people. I know we're angry at the cops right now. I'm angry too. I know some who are great cops, who are doing their due diligence, who are policing the way they're supposed to, but we still have to hold them accountable. That means engaging them in prayer, engaging them in conversation, making yourself a familiar face for them. So that way, when they have an issue, they know they have somebody in the community they can go to for help. Engage your local police officers. Mentor the next generation. You don't have to start a group of 20. All it takes is one. Every single one of us in this room have one child that we can go to that may need some help and may need a mentor. It's time to stop sitting on the sidelines. I don't know if you know, but there's, there's a war going on, and it's spiritual in nature. And if you, didn't bring anything to, if you didn't bring anything to lose to the fight, then you haven't brought anything at all. It's time to get in the game. And then lastly, we need to pray. And don't hear me say prayer last as if it matters least. But one of the faults of the, the church in general has been to only pray and not do anything else. We need to pray while we're working. And I believe our God never turns a blind eye to the cries of his people. We can go through scripture from Genesis to Revelation and see his people call out, to him and him respond with a mighty, mighty hand. And I believe today, if God's people, black, white, brown, and every other shade, will cry out to the mighty King of glory, he will respond.
That's all I'm going to say today. But what we're going to do before we leave is we're going to pray corporately. Pastor Larry, can you come up? And so what I'm going to have us do, and we, you, know, you guys know this isn't normal for us, but these are abnormal times. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray as a diverse congregation, holding hands with one another, calling and crying out to our God. And so if you would, would you stand and lock arms with three or four people right in your vicinity? You might have to turn around in your seat. You might have to make a group right there in your row. But lock arms with your brothers and sisters. And we've got three particular areas that we want to pray for and want to pray about. The first one is this. Again, going back to Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I want us to pray about the fact that this issue and what we're facing right now today is bigger than a police brutality issue. That is just one of the symptoms. From education to criminal justice to poverty to unemployment to police brutality, these are all issues that are affecting our ability to live at peace with one another. Pray that we would be transformed by the gospel and that we as a people would be united together to engage every single area of racial injustice that we see present in our country. Let us pray.